I'm turning this evening to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. And this evening we will be looking at just one single verse tonight. Matthew chapter number 5 and beginning and looking at verse number 20. Uh, This is in part uh, the second portion of what we looked at last week as we uh, examined verses 17 through 20. But I want to just return back to verse 20 for a moment uh, to really uh, focus in on a very important truth uh, that the Lord is giving us here. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 20. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Our subject this evening is simply exceeding righteousness. Exceeding righteousness. I felt it was very important to revisit verse 20 before we moved on with verses 21 through 26 in order to just remind us yet again of the demands of a holy God of perfect righteousness. At first glance, this verse appears that Jesus is suggesting that there is a righteousness that exceeds what the Pharisees' righteousness is. Uh, That is true. Uh, However, Jesus is not commending these Pharisees and scribes by saying that theirs is good enough, that you've got to have a little bit more. But rather, notice what he says. Jesus, using that statement that we will see now for the next few weeks at least, For I say unto you, that is that statement that is correcting a false thought, is what he's saying here. He's acknowledging that there is a righteousness that is necessary in order to enter into the kingdom of God. There's no mistake about that. There is a righteousness that is required to enter into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now remember who Jesus is addressing here. He is addressing those who seemed, by man's standards, to have reached the pinnacle, the very highest degree of righteousness. Uh, They themselves believed that they were not only the mark of righteousness, but that they, in a sense, they were the perfect, uh, exceeding righteousness, if you will, in and of themselves. But what Jesus is telling them and also speaking to his disciples about is something very important to you and I as well. And that is that the righteousness that is required to enter into the kingdom of heaven must exceed what the righteousness that these Pharisees and scribes claim to have. Now again, uh, these are not words of, uh, of, of admonition as much as they are as words of warning. I realize an admonition can carry a warning with it, but these are words of warning. The Lord is teaching here very clearly that we have to have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. In order for us to have this type of righteousness, this cannot be a righteousness that we can rot within ourselves. We can't can't bring up this type of righteousness. We can't earn this type of righteousness. He's talking about a righteousness that must be wrought by the Spirit of God. It's a righteousness that affects not just the outward life, but it's a righteousness that affects the heart. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees got the outward part right in some respects, but the inward part, the heart, had not been changed. Now let's consider a couple things here before we even expound this. 
First of all, that Jesus is clearly saying that there are cannots. In other words, there are people who cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those people that cannot enter the kingdom of heaven are people who do not have the succeeding righteousness. That tells us that there is a certain requirement for man or woman to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, To even begin to be gods, to even begin to belong to the Lord, we have to have this righteousness. Uh, Without going beyond the idea of what the world says, this is what perfect religion looks like. Now, it is to be said, uh, we certainly uh, should, as believers, our conduct should not be worse than the scribes. Our conduct should not be worse than the Pharisees. It should be far better than even what the Pharisees and scribes were. However, if there is not a heart righteousness, if there is not an, an active, outward acts of righteousness, uh, we should be superior in regard to uh, those who claim to know God, not in our own pride, but in the humility that is in Christ. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is defined by what the Sermon on the Mount is talking about. In other words, Jesus is saying that those who are in the kingdom of heaven have these characteristics. Oftentimes, we look at the scribes and and the Pharisees, and in many ways we should, we look at them and we say, now, this is a picture of what not to be. But I want us to understand something. Jesus was not condemning their desire to have a strict, holy appearance. What he was condemning was the reality is they thought that was enough. Oftentimes we think that Jesus is saying everything the Pharisees and the scribes did was wrong. No, outwardly speaking, they appeared to have righteousness. But what Jesus' concern is, is it's got to exceed just this outward appearance of righteousness. The kingdom of heaven requires holiness. The kingdom of heaven requires reverence. We ought to be pure. We ought to be people of honesty. We ought to be people of integrity. But all of those things begin in the works of our heart, not just an outward appearance. Now remember, we've learned that the gospel doesn't give us a license to sin. Grace doesn't give us a license to simply do whatever we want to do because we know we are safe and secure in Christ. Honestly, we should want to live outwardly that exceeds the Pharisees. We truly should. They're not wrong in their desire to outwardly appear righteous. Again, the problem was they thought that was enough. We need to be warned against the reality that they were convinced that they were, in fact, perfectly righteous. So we understand that the righteousness that is produced by the Holy Spirit, it does produce outward holiness that begins by a working of the Spirit on the inside. We ought to be people who desire to carry out the appearance of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We ought to think about the Father's will. We ought to think about what does this appear to be. And again, Jesus, remember when he said, I have come to fulfill, not to destroy. 
Remember, we spent a lot of time last week talking about how Jesus did not destroy the moral law. We still have a moral obligation to follow the moral law. So again, Jesus is not criticizing the Pharisees for their strict observance of the law, but rather he is criticizing their emphasis on outward conformity without a proper inner righteousness. That's quite a difference. By focusing on the outside, the externals, what the Pharisees and scribes were doing were really avoiding the real intent of the law, and they were blurring its demands. Now, this is not to say that Jesus did not have strong words for the Pharisees. We know that there are a number of passages that he has very strong, condemning words for this this idea of external without an internal change. If you would, turn with me over to Matthew 23. And let's just pick up here at verse 23. And I want to read down through verse number 30. And I just want us to see that uh, Jesus is not condoning this in the sense of saying this is all right if you feel this way. But again, it's not just the strict observance. It was the idea that this observance was being done without a real righteous intent. Look what he says in verse 23 of Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have to done, to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also." Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous. That's important. Ye appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. The Pharisees were known to be outward conformists. There's an interesting, I don't follow this often, but I came across this during the study this week, there is a reference in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We've all heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls over the number of years that makes a reference to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are described as seekers after smooth things because they desired to accommodate and compromise the law to fit the life, to fit the realities of life. These accommodations remove the awareness of the need for God's grace and the need for a dependence upon God. When you begin to accommodate and make the law contort and twist and fit into the societal life, you begin to lose the reality of need of God's grace and a full dependence upon Him. That's exactly what the Pharisees had done. 
these accommodations, these weighing down, watering down of certain matters of the law brought them to a place to where they just determined which ones made them appear righteous. Now we do know that the law in and of its, in its perfect form was always meant to demand perfect obedience. God didn't give the law with the idea of saying, I don't want the law to be perfectly obeyed. So what we're supposed to take from that is the reality that we know we cannot perfectly keep the law, so we need to depend on someone who can. But a lot of people want to say that the purpose of the law was this. God gave the law, but He knew that it couldn't be kept. Maybe by man? Yes. But there was a way of perfect obedience, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's where Jesus is zeroing in on. The Pharisees had no dependence on God, nor did they have any awareness for the need of God's grace. They were all about the externals. Christ demand and obedience. There is not to be a disregard of God's commands. So let's look at these phrases and kind of expound upon these a little bit further. Again, Jesus' words are, for I say unto you, Now, unto you here, he has changed his direction here. He's not talking to true disciples of Christ, nor necessarily to his apostles, but he's talking to the whole multitude of people. Again, he's not just aiming this at scribes and Pharisees. He's not talking directly to the disciples. He's talking to the multitude of people who are now listening to him. Now, remember, this multitude of people had a great admiration for the scribes and the Pharisees. Sometimes we get the idea that they were the hated people of society. They were admired by people. The Pharisees and scribes, people would sit in admiration of their righteousness and their appearance of holiness. They were not the quote-unquote plague of society. So remember, Jesus is talking to Pharisee and scribe admirers. And he's going to pretty much undo what they admire the most. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus is going to undo what the admirers admire the most. The outward appearance of righteousness. They had the appearance of righteousness. That's what Jesus said. He he says very clearly back in our verse, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He's telling them this is not enough. It's got to go beyond this. Except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He mentions the scribes, because I want you to think about this for a moment. We often lump the scribes and Pharisees, and we say that's the same group of people, and they're, just, they're the same. No, the, the scribes were actually the more learned, we would say, the more educated people. Uh, They were the ones who were actually writing out the law. They were the ones who were expounding the law. But the Pharisees, um, the Pharisees, they were what we would call the strictest of the group. So the Pharisees were really the ones that were more about the outward religion and the outward appearance of righteousness. I want you to think about them in that way. The scribes are writing out the law. They're expounding the law. The Pharisees are kind of the enforcers, right? They're the ones that are living it outwardly and making sure it's being observed externally. 
Now, all of this on the surface sounds good, except it's defective. There's a problem here. Neither one of the scribes of the Pharisees are operating on a system or a foundation of perfect righteousness. And that's what's being demanded. Jesus uses the terminology exceeding righteousness because it has to exceed that which what the scribes and Pharisees was declaring to be perfect righteousness. They honestly thought they had perfect righteousness and that the kingdom of heaven belonged to them. Their righteousness depended only upon an external observance of the law. It did not come out of a, a purified heart. It did not arise out of the principles of grace. And I would say this, and if you study the Pharisees and the scribes, it was also not being observed sincerely. Their main goal was not the glory of God. Their main goal was for their own applause. That's what they wanted more than anything. So even in their external observance, it wasn't so, hey, we're going to glorify God through our external observance. They wanted the applause of men. That's why Jesus used the illustration that they took up all the high places. They took up all the seats that were the most prominent because they didn't want God's glory. They wanted the applause for people to see just how exceedingly righteous they thought they were. But they thought this all was obtaining them eternal life. Now, oftentimes, you know, again, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they are, oftentimes we, we, we they are, they, they call them the enemies of the cross in many ways. But it's also sad to think that there were actually people who thought that their righteousness was perfect enough that would get them into the kingdom of heaven. Now, lest we forget Society is not much different. Today, there are people who believe they can externally, outwardly appear righteous enough to gain them access to the kingdom of heaven. And they honestly, truly believe that their eternity and their security rises and falls with their outward external appearance. So this is not something we just look back and we say, you know, those scribes and Pharisees, I'm glad we don't have that anymore. It's still alive and well, sadly. They didn't have God's glory. They, not only did they believe falsely, but they also neglected the weightier matters of the law. That's what Jesus was talking about, straining at a gnat. And then ignoring the camel, ignoring the bigger things, they contented themselves to simply keep the lesser ones. And even in the lesser ones, they were deficient in keeping those. They were not, quote unquote, solid doctrinally by any means. It was all external. Now notice Jesus does not give an exception here. He says, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter. Okay, he, Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to give you a couple of options here. He says, in no case, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of what the scribes and Pharisees are claiming brings eternal life, you will in no way, shape, form, anyhow, anywhere, enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
unless you have a righteousness that exceeds that. Christ is informing his hearers that they must have a better righteousness than what appeared to be the seemingly perfect righteousness of the most admired people in society, which were the Pharisees and the scribes. If you expect to enter into the kingdom of heaven, even tonight, if you expect to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to have a righteousness that exceeds the, the scribes and the Pharisees. It's no different today. There will be no admission into heaven without this exceeding righteousness. In any case, Jesus does not leave room for an exception. He doesn't say, if externally you are the most perfect picture example of what outward righteousness ought to look like, that's not an exception to gain you admission. You have to have something that is far different and far superior. Remember, it was the very loss of righteousness that we talk about when Adam and all the way back in the garden, they were put in a perfect environment. Man's self-righteousness is not agreeable to the justice of God. In other words, it's impossible for a perfect, holy, righteous God to admit any person into his heavenly kingdom without this righteousness. Doesn't matter who they are. It would, it would violate everything God is to allow a single individual into heaven who doesn't have this righteousness. Someone might say, what could be the harm? One person, one person into heaven who doesn't have this exceeding righteousness. Is it really that big a deal? Absolutely, it's that big of a deal. It would do away and be completely contrary to who God is. It is contrary to God's nature. It is contrary to God's kingdom. It is contrary to His own glory. And it would be destructive to the saints to admit an unrighteous person into the kingdom of heaven, no matter who they are. And we don't think about that often. We don't think about the reality that everyone in the presence of God, everyone in the heavenly kingdom, will have this exceeding righteousness. It will not be a, mis a mismatch of some pharisaical righteousness, some self-righteousness, some of God's righteousness, some denominational righteousness. It will be exceeding righteousness that only comes directly from God Himself. So what is Jesus really driving home here? He's driving home one of those most important concepts that we need to get. This is not a light matter. This is not a light subject because Jesus is beginning now as He's entered into a different section of the Sermon on the Mount. He begins to teach on various topics. He begins to teach on anger and temptation, divorce and oaths and forgiveness, how to love one's enemies. A pharisaical righteousness will never bring a person into the kingdom of heaven. No matter how outward, outwardly impressive they are, that will not gain a person into the kingdom of heaven because of the external appearance. Nor will any other form of self-righteousness. 
You know, tonight the hope is, is that none of us are thinking about any of our own righteousness as having any part of gaining us access to God's kingdom. We, 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 we don't want to make that assumption that nobody's thinking that. But anything that we think, anything that we think is adding to this righteousness that gains admission into this heavenly kingdom, we need to forsake that and put that away because you're not adding to that. Now again, because of what's happened on the inside, because you have been saved, because you've been redeemed, because you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, our attitudes and our actions ought to be far superior to even what the scribes and the Pharisees were by just their outward appearance. But not for our own applause, but for God's glory. See, I think in our churches, we've approached this the wrong way. We've, we've made the external the first thing instead of considering that the outflow of the externals comes as a direct result of what's happened on the inside. We try to clean people up and we give them the impression that they are somehow making themselves righteous by cleaning themselves up. It's the sad reality when a person first begins to hear the gospel and begins to respond to the gospel and maybe there's a conversion and then we make this grand mistake of giving them the list of rules now. Now, because you are in the kingdom of God, here's the list of rules we expect you to follow. And if you're not careful, you're giving people the impression that that is somehow adding on to what's taken place. Instead of knowing that if there's been a true heart change, those things are going to follow. That's why that person at first gets converted who maybe gets converted out of a very, well, we would determine to be a very wicked life, a very wicked lifestyle. Why they don't necessarily clean up their appearance right away. Why they still do some of the things that they once did. We, we think that this is like flipping a switch. And if you're honest with yourself and you go back and look at your own conversion, it wasn't like flipping a switch. As holy as we think we are now, it wasn't always that way. But we've got to be careful that we don't, even inadvertently, give someone the idea that their external appearance of righteousness is gaining them access or entrance or keeping them in the kingdom of heaven. Even our best righteousness is imperfect. No matter how holy you look, no matter how holy you speak, no matter how holy you act, your righteousness is always going to be imperfect because of your humanity and the, your depravity and that you're still a sinner. You can't offer perfect righteousness. You can give the appearance of it. You can have some admirers like the Pharisees and the scribes had. But it's not exceeding righteousness. The only exceeding righteousness is the righteousness that Jesus was talking about that comes by the grace of God with a full dependence upon God. If you are in Christ tonight, you have that exceeding righteousness. If you have been converted, you have that righteousness. 
and at work right now is not only that righteous, but the sanctification of the Spirit is at work. He is conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. That righteousness is to be desired above any other sort of righteousness. Anything man can do, anything the Pharisees could do, anything the scribes could write would fall short of the righteousness in which Jesus was declaring here. Think about the righteousness of Christ. Think about what it means. Think about what the Bible teaches us that that righteousness of Christ was imputed to us. It was received by faith. It's excellent because of its author. Who is the author of our faith? It's excellent because it's perfect. Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. Again, He didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. His righteousness is perfectly pure. Imagine a righteousness that has no defects. A righteousness that has no wrong motive. Has no improper intent. A righteousness that in without, you cannot in any case, enter into the kingdom of heaven. And yet, for the believer, that is the very righteousness in which every believer in this room and every believer in this, under the sound of my voice has. If you, if you know that you are in Christ, you have that righteousness. And it's not dependent upon anything that you do. Nor does it give you a license to live how you want. The only right we have to heaven, the only right we have to the kingdom of heaven, the presence of Jesus Christ, the eternal security that we have is this exceeding righteousness that Jesus was talking about. That's my only title. That's my only right. It's the only thing that gets me access to the eternal glory of God. And without that righteousness... No man, no woman will be admitted into the kingdom of God. Now again, you and I tonight, we say, we understand that. We know that we cannot get into heaven by our works. We cannot get into heaven by anything that we do. But do we really understand what Jesus was talking about? People that know what the kingdom of heaven is ought to desire to live like those who dwell in the kingdom of heaven. Again, as we study over the next few weeks, we begin to see that Jesus again is responding by giving examples of how people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven should act in certain situations. That's why we continue to see, I say unto you, it's in direct contrast to what the Pharisees and the scribes had declared And he goes down the line of all the different things and all the different matters. They all had their own law as to what it should look like. And Jesus says, no, here's what it actually should be. So he sets out on correcting all of their false watered down versions of the law. And teaches us and taught them properly. Here's what it's been said. Here's how the law has been applied. Here's how it's been told unto you, you who admire the scribes and the Pharisees, but I say unto you, they were wrong. And he starts with the foundation 
of that exceeding righteousness. So next week, we're a little bit briefer tonight than we normally are, but I want us to think about next week. Going into the realities, he opens up this first section between verses 21 and verse 26, dealing with anger and dealing with murder in the heart, dealing with adversaries, how to deal with people, becomes very intensely practical as to what he's doing. So if you'd like to read ahead next week, Lord willing, we will cover verses 21 through 26. And we'll be dealing with the teachings on anger primarily for next week. All right. But let's go ahead and we'll be dismissed in prayer tonight. We're done a bit early. And uh, so we'll, uh, we'll pray and we'll uh, be dismissed. And again, thank you for being here. If uh, men are available on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, we'd love to see you. Uh, 8 to 9 o'clock and we should be uh, on our way. And uh, so if you're able to make it, uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer.